and thank you for joining us on the Therapy Cable podcast. What you're about to listen to are conversations and interviews on some of the most crucial and important topics in the behavioral and mental health space. It is our mission to help remove the stigmas attached to mental health, psychology, and addiction, one recording at a time. Hello and welcome to uh, Therapy Cable. I'm Dr. Esan Garajadaki, clinical psychologist. Today we will be talking about how to treat personality disorders. We have created a few videos on the definition of personality disorders and uh, mostly where they come from, the etiology, more or less the root causes, and the symptomatology. Now, these videos uh, are going to be mostly about uh, uh, the treatment of treatment of uh, personality disorder. So, just like we did before, in terms of going through the clusters, there are three clusters of personality disorders according to DSM-5. That's the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual uh, that's published by APA, American Psychological Association. And uh, so, the clusters are A, B, and C. A is the odd eccentric cluster, B is the dramatic emotional cluster, C is the fearful, anxious cluster. And uh, we're going to go, to go through them, uh, not the clusters and the description, definition, but actually according to that order and talk about the treatment. So cluster A includes uh, paranoid, uh, schizotypal, and schizoid personality disorder. So we will go through those one by one. So, in order to uh, really address treatment for the first category, which is paranoid personality disorder, let's uh, uh, talk a little bit, first of all, about, you know, when, I would say, to treat them. Because, uh, especially as part of the characteristic of being paranoid, people who may have such traits or uh, characteristics or full-blown disorder, they may not even show up to uh, therapy. They really do have an, inc an, an inclination and, and disinclination toward uh, therapists or therapy. They're uh, suspicious and um, quite doubtful and, and really on guard in terms of um, whether or not the therapist could help them and or whether or not they would have ulterior motives, whether or not, um, you know, they would be actually in danger, uh, because again, that's part of that uh, paranoid characteristic that a person with paranoid personality disorder is struggling with on a daily basis. They, um, they, they have paranoia, they're paranoid around um, all their interactions with everybody, including family members and close friends, let alone someone they haven't met, a specialist, so to say, who may hold a certain power over them. Uh, so they're very wary about giving up this power or trust, you know, entering in that relationship. So uh, that's really the idea of when, because if we don't even get them to come to treatment, uh, there's no treatment, right? So, uh, so the first, uh, you know, kind of prerogative that we want to keep in mind is how to get them 
into therapy because usually they're just disinclined to come to therapy. So generally what you see, I would say, are two, if you will, subgroups. One would be a uh, more or less, uh, I would say, kind of a captive audience, like people who may be incarcerated, uh, and that's why they're available. Uh, otherwise, they would, you know, if people have freedom to be wherever they want to be, they're not going to be at the therapist's office. But if they are in a prison system, they're in a, a more or less confined environment that legally allows people to confine them and they're supposed to face a therapist as part of their, let's say, sentence or daily schedule or weekly schedule, then okay, then we uh, have the opportunity of seeing this, this kind of subgroup of individuals who are more or less forced to go to therapy or see a clinician. And then the other subgroup being the uh, people with paranoid personality disorder who one way or another maybe due to a greater insight maybe to a greater attachment or a deeper connection and trust with one person at least in their lives have come to believe that um, there is some hope or some opportunity that they ultimately can kind of convince themselves to go through with therapy maybe for the sake of their relationship or, you know, again, just kind of an overriding factor that even though uh, generally they're sus suspicious of everything and relationships and everybody, however, it's probably worth it to them f to go to see a clinician or therapist, a trusted person, to just maybe save this type of relationship that they're in. Maybe they have been convinced by a spouse or a family member that they're trusting, uh, such as a, a, a child or a parent, to just go seek some counseling, some uh, limited form of help. So that would be a different group because they are voluntarily coming in and their predisposition is different toward that um, therapeutic relationship. So. Uh, again, so as you can see that, you know, when we talk about treatment, treatment is not a blanket uh, kind of a, a model that can be applied to everybody regardless of their situation. So we have to actually take into consideration the circumstances in which the person is coming in to therapy or even being forced to take therapy. Now, um, generally, we, we don't really believe in terms of a forced treatment, a forced therapy, unless really we're talking about somebody who is completely uh, dysfunctional and self-damaging to a point where if we don't help them, they damage themselves even more, such as, you know, extreme cases with, uh, let's say, um, I would say, developmental disorders, um, such as autism, autistic, at times a very severely autistic child who is self-harming and if we just leave them alone and don't provide them with the appropriate treatment, uh, even though they don't like to get the treatment, then it makes the case worse. You know, there are many uh, basically again, developmentally challenged autistic kids who uh, bang their heads against the wall or self-harm. So we would have to come to, to their help. Or people with schizophrenia who may be highly delusional and hallucinating and basically the reality testing is completely shot and they may harm themselves or others 
and uh, well at times you would have to medicate them restrain them again for their self uh, for, for their, their own good if you will and, and the good for the community and maybe close family members or you know uh, people around in their surroundings so but uh, when it comes to that subgroup of people with paranoid personality disorder who are incarcerated and if we want to force therapy on them that by itself also is really a fine line to tread and that's something that I would bring up because as a clinician let's say if a person is uh, working in the prison system and they're assigned to a, uh, to a prisoner to, a, to an uh, uh, you know, inmate more or less somebody who is um, maybe has had history of paranoid personality disorder or is being diagnosed with paranoid personality disorder it is incumbent upon that clinician and even the environment to make that transition, that process of providing therapy really a pleasant one rather than a forceful one. So, uh, and, and with that in mind, you know, a clinician, a highly competent clinician would really have certain, certain safeguards, certain ways of really establishing rapport from get-go to the point that the benefits of therapy and these therapeutic relationships are highlighted very much from the beginning and a lot of time is spent on establishing trust and rapport and connection and that attachment and almost like proving oneself, like the clinician proving oneself that um, let me prove to you that I'm not here to get you, I'm not here to uh, have alternative motives and maybe even make your case worse or provide some kind of evidence against you, anything like that. But it is really, uh, you know, meant as a psychological help, mental health, mental uh, support, and uh, create that equal, if you will, as much as possible, equal relationship at least between the clinician and the ther and the client. Uh, uh, in order to invite some kind of a volunteer investment of time, energy, um, emotional, psychic, cognitive energy from the uh, client to, so that it actually starts working rather than the client or the inmate, you know, the prisoner feeling, well, this is being forced upon me. I don't believe anybody anyways, and I'm doubtful of anyone, uh, anyone who is coming, talking to me even especially a clinician, you know, they can play mind tricks or mind games and stuff like that, um, then it's not going to work. So why would we want to even attempt treatment if we know that the outcome is uh, very much negative or the likelihood of benefit is very, very low? So again, when we say part of treatment, it's not like a fast track to just applying a certain model immediately and then the client is going to get better. When we say treatment, treatment really is a very in, uh, kind of encompassing, fully encompassing a very comprehensive process from very much beginning of assessment. It includes the very few first stages of clinical assessment and communication with uh, a client all the way to more or less a uh, thorough um, methodical implementation of certain therapeutic models and um, modalities in and then continued assessment and evaluation based on the feedback that is being received 
from the client all the way to perhaps the you know phase of wrapping up termination aftercare. So you know, the treatment really is the whole thing. It's not just part the, the middle part of it that let's say a CBT approach is being approach is being um, uh, implemented. So uh, with the paranoid personality disorder, that's why I'm uh, kind of spending so much time explaining this because uh, again the understanding of this pers paranoid personality disorder is crucial to implementing every single step and phase of treatment from beginning to end, which includes a focused and um, um, a very meticulous type of an approach toward spending enough time in the beginning to establish rapport, to gain trust, to really prove oneself or prove that this relationship is a is a reliable, trustworthy relationship that actually provides more benefits than any perceived harm. So after that phase is done, really, and, and also <laughs> to a, I would say, a lighter version, the same principle applies to that other subgroup where a person voluntarily comes into therapy. Again, a lot of time has to be spent on really gaining the investment, the time and emotional investment of and the trust of the client in um, in believing that there is an equal power, equal relationship, equal say that the client has control and is kind of a co-director, a co-pilot of this whole process. Once that is done, we'll say equally for both groups, the idea here is to, again, help the client rather than, let's say, provoke them and uh, dispute their irrational beliefs or kind of um, get in their face and more or less prove them wrong. It, I, that, that's the wrong approach. What we want to do, the idea is really to get the, to help the client help themselves, to help the client, you know, kind of dissect the, uh, this internal struggle and understand that, uh, you know, there is part of them that is actually quite functional. And, and able to more or less step outside a little bit and have some self-examination uh, versus that other part that is continually suspicious of relationships and, and understand why that exists. You know, the core element here to help person with paranoid personality is to really allow them to see that this suspicious side of them actually has been to a greater extent uh, beneficial in their lives and it has helped them to protect themselves but that it has more or less taken over you know the complete control and to some extent even um, uh, you know uh, basically exaggerated you know exaggerated uh, out of control fashion where to a point that continual um, reliance and preoccupation with suspicion about everything becomes quite debilitating and has negative uh, impact and negative effects. So if we can uh, help a person kind of navigate, even though really that's the difficulty, their difficulty is to be able to navigate what's true, what's not true, what's fact, what is fantasy, what is uh, a, a good reason to suspect someone, uh, and basically it's factual and very much uh, realistic versus a not so realistic 
uh, a non-factual, perhaps irrational reason to try to suspect someone and, and a person's intention. So, you know, navigating that territory to be to help a person to even perhaps go back to history to establish a more or less inventory of the times that they have been able to discern between these good and bad reasons, these appropriate and inappropriate um, situations of examination of judgment, and be able for themselves to perhaps make that make that list that if I engage in these very limited uh, set of um, examination, criticism, suspicion about others, that, and and I can corroborate that with some kind of a third party evidence, if you will, and and um, uh, and have proof more or less in my own uh, for my own self that uh, I it is reliable that I can see ultimately it turns out to my benefit, meaning down the road it is providing some um, opportunities uh, for success, for uh, self-care, for advancement, for growth, versus the, another list of, you know, perhaps exaggerated uh, extreme levels of suspicion and examination and criticism of self and others to a point of uh, really kind of getting lost within this jungle and not having any type of an anchor to rely on and to ground oneself and then ultimately having suffered the consequences that have been harming to oneself and others then uh, hopefully there is that let's say heightened awareness that can be become a skill that can be uh, trained you know that that can be um, improved and uh, and uh, mastered if you will uh, we can help a client to achieve a level of ad higher, advanced, accelerated level of um, implementation of this discernment within their own life and be able to walk their way out of this uh, depth of, of paranoia, if you will. And uh, the other aspect I would bring up is the concept of, uh, you know, family support, you know, Everyone, uh, unless a person is completely isolated, even a person with high personality disorder has more or less some attachment to some people, some connection to one or two people in their lives that they may be just kind of much more attached to and trusting. And uh, if that is the case, then what we can do is enrich that, strengthen that, help the client to... Um, reach out to that person and have that person also be involved in the whole process and treatment to strengthen their relationship and kind of get this support from multiple people to help a person to overcome the issue with paranoid personality. Um, this is the first part and uh, the category of paranoid personality that we discussed. Now let's uh, move on to the second one which is the schizoid personality disorder or schizoid personality disorder, um, yeah, and again, when it comes to treatment of schizoid, quickly what we have to understand is that uh, kind of a review of etiology in a few sentences, which we know has to do with the lack of desire of connecting with others, as well as, so basically as uh, more or less some kind of an odd, eccentric um, uh, presentation, you know, as they are really not 
being around by many people, there is no desire to be around many people, and if there are around people, then there is a certain awkwardness about the social script that they are engaging in the interpersonal effectiveness that they are engaging in. So, um, knowing that with the schizoid personality, what we need to keep in mind is that really kind of encouraging more and more and more of, if you will, like a call for uh, reconnection with the society and others is not really very helpful because there is again no desire. Uh, we can't necessarily increase desire in a person. Yeah? What we could do is uh, really focus on more of social skills um, development and social skills building for those few and sporadic times when a person with schizoid personality is, uh, finds himself or herself in a social environment. So, um, more or less, if you will, damage control and um, increasing their level of competence for the times that they may have to interact with others uh, in their environment. So, knowing what to say, knowing what to do. Uh, and again, uh, the same problem exists with this group that mostly people with schizoid personality disorder, they don't voluntarily come to seek therapy. Right, because they don't again desire human connection or social connection. So they rather just isolate themselves and remain in their own, you know, peculiar world, if you will, and kind of remain preoccupied with their, with things that just interest them and may not interest anybody else around them. So the idea here would be uh, knowing this particular predicament that we may not even see them often. So. If we do see them in therapy, again, maybe based on some kind of, perhaps they have been prodded by some family members or uh, somebody close to them to come to seek therapy, or again, they have been perhaps court-ordered or as part of a certain you know, requirement, they are again part of probation maybe, uh, um, they have been required to seek therapy, uh, then ultimately understand that we can't necessarily increase their desire and uh, want, wanting connection with people, but what we can help them is with increasing social, interactional, interpersonal uh, competence to know, um, you know, how to read better uh, social cues in other people, interpret them more appropriately, to be able to match those social cues and um, what we call social script, to kind of have a script, have a program, have an understanding, like a pre- determined plan or map uh, for them to know what to say, how to act, how to behave, uh, how to interact with others. Such as, you know, if a person maybe, you know, let's say they have to hold a job, even though they have schizoid personality, but because they hold a job and they have an understanding of uh, the necessity for them to keep their job, we can help them with uh, more or less scripting their way uh, and the whole day. Uh, of interactions, you know, very much structured way of starting their work, taking care of their obligations, knowing how to deal with certain demands and expectations of their supervisors and co-workers, knowing how to deflect and kind of um, cordially, professionally deal with surprising elements that they may not be ready for such as, you know, somebody barging into their office or uh, 
uh, some kind of a surprise event that is being put together or like an emergency request from someone. Uh, being prepared for those unexpected intrusions, if you will, that can help them have that script to know what to say, how to act, how to interact, how to respond, and then uh, kind of end their way a day uh, throughout the day and then uh, in the job and then kind of uh, go home and really maybe then uh, have that solace or isolation or peacefulness where they can just attend to their own needs without having to interact with anybody else and kind of cherish that, like re recharge, energize, and be able to get back on track for the next day. Um, uh, then uh, moving forward to the third category, which is the schizotypal uh, personality disorder. Here, uh, the distinction is that the person with schizotypal personality traits characteristics, they do have desire to interact with others. They don't want to isolate themselves, but they have, you know, odd, irrational, very peculiar, unusual um, thoughts, um, beliefs, as well as, you know, engage in certain behaviors that are sporadic, very sporadic, very unusual, very infrequent in the society. And again, they have certain delusions or hallucinations, very mine minor ones or light ones, but still something that is not common and therefore it impacts them and they act awkwardly in uh, interactions with people. And now here we could do both. Not only can we work on social skills and increasing their uh, level, level of aptitude in terms of how to respond to people, how to uh, navigate their way around this awkwardness or awkward social situations and perhaps be prepared to have like a canned approach and response that they come to their mind to de-escalate, uh, if you will, and kind of normalize the situation, but also uh, increase their uh, work on their desire because they do desire to work with people, to interact with people, you know, use that as an advantage, use that as an ally. In, you know, kind of appeal to their sense of um, the, uh, you know, benefit that they would get from attaching to others, creating bonds, you know, uh, enriching their relationships with others that would be ultimately very beneficial to them and use that as a motivation to, to, to help them uh, go through the hardship that they would have to endure in uh, navigating the social uh, realm of interaction and interacting and uh, engaging with other people in social settings. Uh, because certainly they would have to put some effort or they may have to, let's say, rehearse certain or, or kind of practice certain social interactional scripts. And uh, if that's the case, you know, there's a lot of effort that they have to put in there. And based on that, at least what they can do is um, reach back into their level of motivation and remind themselves that this is why I'm doing all this because ultimately it is beneficial to me. I will be able to get along better with people and um, you know have better relationships. Things are going to work out for me. Mm -hmm. So that was the really summary of uh, the three categories: paranoid, uh, schizoid, and schizotypal personality disorders, part of CAT cluster A. And next time, what we will do is go through treatment for other clusters, uh, cluster B and then cluster C. So.
for now uh, i would like to thank you for watching this video if you have any comments please do feel, feel free to leave a comment for us if you have any other ideas uh, would like to us to produce any other videos on other personality issues or psychological concepts that you're um, interested in and curious about please let us know leave us a comment thank you very much for therapy cable for watching Therapy Cable and uh, and our videos. We appreciate your comments and your interaction. Leave us a comment. We look forward to reading them and responding to them. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Therapy Cable podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast provider. To view the entire videos of these episodes, visit us online at therapycable.com and send us an email about your thoughts and topic suggestions.